speaking. Um, the female gender gets much more excited about weddings than does the male gender. And there's a lot of reasons to that. Um, it's interesting from a perspective. I don't know. I don't know why they call it a pastor officiating the wedding. You know, when I think of officiating, I think of, okay, shake hands, ready, and the battle's on. Maybe that's why they call it officiating, you know. I don't know. But, um, but when, when you are able to be involved in the wedding process, um, I've really, I've really grown, matured, developed, in my viewpoint of this, I used to not really enjoy weddings a whole lot. In fact, I've said I'd much rather do a funeral than a wedding, okay? Um, what, part of that is weddings. You don't know where this is going to go after you've been involved in it, you know. But, I mean, funeral, it's a done deal. But um, I really have come to uh, enjoy weddings and um, and count it a privilege to be involved in them. And again, this summer we already have a wedding lined up, and I'm looking forward to that. And some of you are saying, "Who, who, who, who? Bunch of owls out there tonight!" All right. You haven't heard Ruth Stuffelbeam got engaged. I mean, Faith Stuffelbeam got engaged. <laughs> Another senior moment, all right? So, um, so we'll be able to, to look forward to, to that time together. But, um, weddings play a very, very important part in God's plan. And you might be sitting here tonight saying, what happened to this Sunday night prophecy series? Where's this wedding thing coming up? This is the next thing that will happen to we as believers is the marriage of the Lamb. Last week we saw after believers are raptured, we saw that we will stand before God and the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be rewarded according to um, what we have done. It is a place of rewards and and privilege to be rewarded in those manner. And so during the seven-year period of tribulation, the marriage of the Lamb takes place in heaven and... Um, it takes place then because the Bible tells us that he will become, he will come riding on a white horse with, um, with his bride. So the marriage had to take place before he comes the second time. Alright? And, um, so tonight we want to look at the marriage of the Lamb. And as I mentioned, God himself, as we know, is the author of the marriage relationship. It is the first human institution that he created. 
number of years ago, I mentioned that in a wedding, and someone was kind of offended that I called marriage an, an institution. They're thinking of a nuthouse institution, you know what I'm saying? I thought, it is the first human institution that God created, the marriage, and... Um, The Bible mentions weddings specifically at least 20 times, but throughout the Bible, God continually makes references and typologies regarding marriage. And and it's important for us to see God's design, the Jewish wedding, parallels the redemption of mankind. In a Jewish wedding, the prospective bridegroom took the initiative, traveled from his father's house to the home of a prospective bride. Christ left his father's house, came to the earth to gain a bride for himself. We'll touch on that more later. The father of the woman then would um, negotiate with the prospective bridegroom the price that must be paid Um, To purchase the bride, Christ came, paid the price for us with his own blood. When the bridegroom paid the price, the marriage covenant was in place. It was established. At that point, they were considered husband and wife. Man and woman were regarded as husband and wife even though no physical union took place. Once we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we have been declared sanctified, set apart exclusively for Christ. The moment the covenant was established, the bride was declared to be set apart for the bridegroom. They then drank from a cup over which they would take their... Um, vows, and it was pronounced as uh, husband and wife, symbolizing the covenant relationship. Christ symbolized this covenant relationship with us through the communion of the Last Supper. After the marriage covenant was in effect, the groom left the home of the bride and returned to his father's house and remained there for an undesignated amount of time, usually around a year, separated from his bride. After Christ paid the price, the covenant, Christ returned to the Father's house. And um, during that time of separation, the bride would gather her wardrobe and prepare for married life, while the groom prepared living accommodations for his bride. What is Christ doing today? He is preparing a place for his bride. And um, he tells us that um, he is coming again. After the period of separation, the groom and the best man and the other male escorts left the house of the groom's father usually at night, and conducted a torchlight procession to the house of the bride. 
Christ will soon come, leaving the Father's house, accompanied by angelic hosts. The bride was expecting the groom to come, but had no idea when he would show up. Thus, the groom's arrival was preceded by a shout. Christ will return from heaven with a shout. And then the groom would receive the bride, that is the rapture, and they would then have the union and be consummated as a husband and wife. We will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. The judgment seat of Christ takes place. This is all taking place in heaven while the tribulation period, which we'll get in and start looking at in future weeks, is going on on earth. And in heaven will be the marriage of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So, we want to just kind of walk through this. The marriage of the Lamb. Notice the emphasis is on the Lamb. It's on the groom. Um, the marriage of the Lamb, it takes place in heaven. It's evidence that it takes place after the judgment seat of Christ, and yet it takes place before the second coming of Christ. We read about the second coming of Christ in verse 11 of chapter 19. So, it takes place in heaven. It takes place after the judgment seat of Christ because the bride is clothed in, in white garments. The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So, the saints are, are purified by fire and they are clothed in the fine linen of righteousness. Now, the participants of the wedding, the host of the wedding is God the Father. He selected the bride, he prepares the wedding, and he sends out the invitations. The groom, it's the marriage of the Lamb. The groom is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We know John the Baptist in his ministry clearly identified Jesus Christ as the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. This is the marriage of the Lamb. John identified Christ specifically as the groom in John chapter 3 and verse 29. It is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that we as believers fall in love with. It's not the Creator. It's not the King. It's not the Lord, but it's the Lamb who died for us 
who loved us and died for us. He paid the price for our sins. So, the host of the wedding is God the Father. The groom is Jesus Christ. And and this is contrary to our weddings today. Our weddings today, it's it's the lady's day. It's her day. The wedding, the marriage of the Lamb, is all the focus is on the groom. It is the marriage of the Lamb. It goes completely contrary to our natural thinking, the way weddings go here. Um, The focus is on the groom. It's on the Lamb. And and then we are brought in as the bride. The bride is the church. Those saved during the church age. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, a passage that is often used at weddings, a passage that is used to teach about marriage. But notice if you look in Ephesians chapter 5, Beginning at verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Husbands, verse 25, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He is the the one that initiated this covenant. He is the one that um, set up this covenant. And he is the one that loves us. And Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And we are married to him, if you please. Married to the one who was raised up from the dead. So, God the Father, the host, Jesus Christ is the groom. The the bride of Christ is the church, those saved during the church age. Um, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the feast after the celebration, is a separate event that takes place after the marriage. It's like the marriage and the reception. The marriage of supper of the Lamb... Um, takes place when Christ comes back again. The guests at that will be the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. They are not the bride of Christ. They, they do not make up the bride of Christ. Um, those saved during the church age make up the bride of Christ. Um, I don't have time tonight, but I have a, this is my, not biblical, it's my presumptuous idea about 
the church as the bride of Christ. Um, what if someone is saved? The question for you. What if someone trusts Christ as Savior but rejects gathering together, the assembling of ourselves, ecclesia, the Greek word that is used, the assembling, it's the word that is used for a church. What if a person is saved but rejects the church? Are they a part of the bride of Christ? Something for you to think about. Um, and the reality is, this aspect of the bride of Christ, to you, you may sit here tonight and think, um, what's the big deal about this? I want us to look at the personal application of this. We are engaged to Christ. Even much more so than engaged. We are we are in a covenant agreement with Christ. Remember, we're coming into the Christmas season. Remember when Joseph found out that Mary was with child and he said, that cannot be. I have not had physical relations with her. And Joseph was set to go give her a writing of divorcement. Why? Because... You could give a writing of divorcement during this engagement covenant stage. And from Joseph's human perspective, it appeared as though Mary had been unfaithful in this covenant agreement. They were considered husband and wife. We are engaged to Christ, and it is imperative that we do not be unfaithful to Him. When we allow our heart to go after other loves, it is, James calls it, friendship with the world is adultery with Christ. Now you think of it. How many times have our heart gone, we are the bride of Christ and and to to take a a girl that is engaged to a man and then to see her going off and and going on dates with other guys and spending time with others and texting others we'd say that is wrong that is not right that is and that's absolutely right but we so easily engage to Jesus Christ in a covenant agreement with Him often, often go off and flirt with the world and spend time with other loves that capture our heart. When, when we, as a believer, are committed to Jesus Christ and so much more is He committed to us. The second application is the groom may appear at any time. Do we have our house in order? Are we ready? We must be ready. And then this third area, I just want to spend a little bit of time on. And it, it is the absolute truth, but it's hard for us to comprehend. Do we see Jesus Christ as our lover. 
I don't mean that in a crass manner. The stages of our relationship with God go like this. We see him as our judge. The law condemns us. He is our judge. Then we see him as our redeemer. He is the one that rescues us. Then we're brought to see him as our father. And then the ultimate is truly we come to see him as the lover of our soul, as indeed a lover. Judge, redeemer, father, lover. The vast majority of Christians are stuck on Redeemer. We, we even struggle with Him being our Father. Um, sometimes it's because we haven't, we don't have a good concept of a Father in our mind, but, or we believe the devil's lie. But to understand God as our Father, our relationship with Him as our Father, and, and to understand He's a merciful Father, He wants what is best for us, as any true dad does for his kids, he wants what is best. Seldom do we move from Redeemer to Father and really come to value Him as our Father. And God allows certain things in our life to happen. Um, I really personally came to value God as my Father after my father died. And and I value so much more. God is my everlasting Father. My relationship with my Father is over. He still has an influence on my life, but I'm not able to call Him up. I'm not able to talk to Him. But I have an everlasting Father. And it has come to mean so much more to me and, and, and to be expanded in that. And there's times I... I just say, thank you, God, for being my father. You are the perfect father. But then there's a whole other level where we come to see God as our joy, our lover, that we, with selfless abandon, give ourselves to him, that in adoration and service, and oneness, there is a rapturous joy of, of, of being with Him. The songwriter, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. The songwriter, another one said, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in Him a friend so strong and true. No one else could take my sin and darkness from me. He did something that no other man could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take my sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Those are the words of a lover saying, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. When, when people are genuine, genuinely in love, they, there's a joy that, that, that 
They feed off one another. There's a, an adoration. There's a, a bonding, a oneness, a making time to be together and to come to understand all these other things. Uh, a marriage relationship is just a picture to help show us what Christ desires in us. Because, you know what? Even as my relationship with my father ended, there's going to come a day when one of us, Marilyn or I, are going to die. And that relationship is going to end. But the true lover of my soul is Jesus Christ. And and we need to look tonight and say, where am I in these four levels? Is God my judge tonight? Or have I come to know Him as my Redeemer? Have I called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin? Am I, am I walking with Him as my Father? Do I really value? Do I go to Him for counsel and instruction? Do I really enjoy? And, and have I taken my relationship? Do I really see Him as the lover of my soul? There's a, a song, Christmas song, that our family just loves. It's um, 10,000 Joys. And the verse, we play it every, every year when we're decorating the tree. And last night we played it. And the verse that just, just speaks to my heart and I just so relate to, it says, When I am alone with Jesus... In the quiet when no one sees us. Or when he is with me in life's lows. If I speak, I know he'll hear me. And to know that he is near me always brings to me 10,000 joys. 10,000 joys, sweet Son of God, you came to me. And my heart sings because I know you are mine. In you I find 10,000 joys, enough to last through all the years. And joy to shine through all my tears. 10,000 joys. That is the expression of of one who sees Christ as the lover. Anything else will end bringing joy. But there are innumerable joys in Christ. And and we ought to be saying, Oh God, help me to come to see you as the lover of my soul. We, I, you as believers will be the bride of Christ. I don't know what it's going to look like, but, but marching down the aisle or to see the lover of our soul and to run to his arms and have him hug us and be one with him. 10,000 joys. You can't imagine it. This is what, this is what life is all about. Life is not all about all this stuff here. Marriage is to make us long for Christ even more. Not because it's a bad marriage, but because it's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? 
But the reality is, he is the lover of my soul. And we should, in, in total selfless abandon, give ourselves to him and should come to, to adore him every, you know, Every aspect about Jesus Christ is adorable. We always say marriage is an eye-opener. Boy, howdy is it an eye-opener. You didn't, you know, there's all this infatuation stage and all you see is the, oh, man, they're so wonderful. And, and they've done studies and, and I think God's wired us that way because nobody get married if you saw all the warts right at the start. You know what I'm saying? And they've done studies on the brain that in that, literally, it is an infatuation stage. It's not just some Bambi thing that's made up, you know, Twitter-pated or whatever it is, you know. Um, God's wired it so that you don't. But then you get married and you start, oh, I didn't know this about him. I didn't know this, didn't know this. There are surprises in physical marriage The more you get to know Christ, the more you say, wow, wow, incredible, amazing. It's not like, ooh, I didn't know that. And to come to the realization that not only is he my redeemer, we have to move way beyond that. And and God, I need you as my father. I need you. And, and then to grow to the point that Jesus is the lover of my soul. You know, that verse, that song I read, Lovers like to be alone when I am alone with Jesus. Lovers like to spend time alone. They, they like to be alone. If I speak, I know he'll hear me. And I know that he is near me. That's, that's the love of our soul. You know, as I, as I thought about this, I thought, man, we said the first application, we are engaged to Christ. Don't be unfaithful. The fact of the matter is every one of us have committed adultery. Every one of us. And, and, God has every right to break off our relationship, but he said, I am committed to you with an everlasting love. And, and tonight as we go to prayer, we ought to say, God, have mercy on my soul. Forgive me for being an adulterous, engaged bride of you. And to say, God, your love for me, you long, God longs for a personal relationship with us. Probably everyone here has had their love spurned and turned away at some time or another. Think that's what we're doing to Christ often. And he is the perfect one. There's no way he should ever be spurned and turned away. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. That should be our heart's cry. As we go to prayer tonight, as God burdens you to pray, just um, raise your hand and they'll, they'll get you the microphones. But let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father.
And we often begin our prayers, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are my Redeemer. I thank you for all these years that you have fathered me as the perfect Father. And Lord, I thank you that you are the lover of my soul. Lord, forgive me for chasing after the cheap loves and spurning your love. Forgive me for questioning your love. Lord, forgive me for not adoring you For not longing to be in your presence and making time to be alone with you. Lord, we understand that you so love the world, but Lord, in a personal manner, You so loved me that you gave your only begotten Son to be the lover of my soul. Lord, may my love for you increase and may you bring a revival around the world that we would not only see you as Redeemer and Father, but Lord, that we would come to this love relationship with you. 